0: Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1 today, message I call Comfort My People. Let's stand together, please, as we reference the reading of God's Word. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And may God bless the reading of his word today. Is my prayer. You may be seated. Comfort. Comfort my people. I've chosen this text today as kind of a uh, starting off place. A launching pad, if you will. For a consideration of the subject of how God comforts his people. I chose this passage because... Uh, It mentions the comfort of God three different times in these two short verses. We'll close out with another passage in Colossians that does the same thing. And between those passages and even beyond them all the way through over into the book of Revelation, you'll find this subject again and again. Comfort. Comfort. You would almost think that God in heaven looks down upon the sons of men. And sees us troubled, disturbed, hurting, struggling, comfort, yes, comfort, my people. In this particular text in Isaiah chapter 40, like all the prophets, uh, Isaiah's messages were often filled with God's demands for his people to repent with serious, strong, strong, Sometimes scathing uh, renunciations of their activities and the promise of judgment. Uh, sometimes they had gone too far. His people had waited too long, and so there was a promise then of impending judgment from which there was no escape. It's no small thing then for God to suddenly turn the page as he does in Isaiah chapter 40, begins a whole new uh, section of the book of Isaiah and he begins it by saying comfort my people speak comfort to them. Isaiah would immediately pick up his prophetic pen and speak of the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. So we're not left to wonder for very long about what John was thinking or what Isaiah was thinking about in reference to uh, bringing comfort to God's people as he brings up the subject of John verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. After spending some time then in Isaiah 40 talking about how that God, uh, through the promise of the Messiah, was going to bring comfort to his people and have a profound effect upon them, he gives this promise so well known to us today in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, I'd love to preach on this passage this morning. You just settle down. I could. I have before. As they have considered Isaiah 40 many, many times. Certainly we see how that God promises might and strength to those who are struggling with weakness. Unless we think, you know, I'm young and strong, I don't have anything to worry about in that. But God says, even the youths, even the youths shall faint. I'm here to remind you today of what you already know, young people, that you are facing a lot of things in this life, and you find them overwhelming you at times. You find yourself struggling then just to keep going. And we're seeing a a chronic, almost an epidemic state of this among young people today, struggling with terrible anxieties. Uh, They say that the pandemic made it worse, but really there's no real good explanation for why it's happening. We just know it is happening in America. They're living it out. Even the youths, even the youths shall be weary. But, God says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Isn't that a great promise? So as I looked at this passage this week and many others that deal with comfort, we see it again and again. God comforts His people with that promise of coming to them. That so often happens with me, and I really can't explain why, except that I've got music in my head and it appears at random times. As I was beginning to think of comfort, I began to hum along with an old uh, gospel song written by that great duet, Simon and Garfunkel. (laughs) When you're down and out, when you're on the street, when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part, oh, when darkness comes and pain is all around. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. As I pulled it up on YouTube to listen to it, I actually was astonished to find an interview by the writer himself, Paul Simon. Found out, I didn't know it, that uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water was actually inspired by him listening to a gospel song. And he wrote it to be a two-verse hymn. If you're familiar with the song, that explains, of course, why it's all piano in the first two verses. He added the last verse in the studio. How would you like to be that guy? Oh, I'll just add another verse. (laughs) Bridge over troubled water. I'm not completely sure who Paul Simon's bridge over troubled water was. The one who would come to him, the one who would get him over the rough spots in his life. I'm not sure who that was, but I know for sure who mine is. Isaiah then promised a time when God would comfort his people by... Coming to them, the, the presence of God and the long-awaited Messiah and so many other ways that God would come to His people. And, and just by coming to Him, the presence of God then would bring comfort. But what then does God bring with Him that He uses to comfort us? And As I looked through the scriptures, I, I saw them again and again this week and So I picked out these four that I'm going to share with you in four passages of scripture that discusses then how not only that God comes to us, but the things that he uses to bring comfort to us. First of all, of course, will be the comfort of the shepherd. We just had to go there. Couldn't miss that one. Psalm 23 and 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. These are the two primary implements of the shepherd, the rod and the staff. God often speaks of himself as the shepherd. He often speaks of us as the sheep of his pasture, emphasizing his care and protection and provision for us. The rod of the shepherd was what we would call a club. Uh, it would be one that would uh, he could bind around his waist by the girdle. It would hang down then no longer than his feet. The staff, though, would uh, is the shepherd's staff. And even now, we're familiar with that imagery. Philip Keller, who wrote uh, Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, said that the shepherd's staff was absolutely unique to shepherds. It was unsuitable uh, for the tending of cattle. No other animal, uh, no, nothing else, no one else carried the staff except the shepherds. The shepherds. That curved end that they put in it. I, I don't know how they did it. Uh, I've got one in my office somebody made for me. Uh, And I thought at first it was laminated. It's not. They have a way of doing that, of of just bending that carefully. It probably involves a lot of time and a lot of water. And over time, then, they can put that crook in there. So perfectly designed for protecting, guiding, and, yes, even rescue a sheep that might have fallen down in the rocks. Shepherd's staff. The rod was a weapon in the hands of a skilled shepherd, it was formidable. You might remember the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when David was preparing to fight with Goliath. And uh, uh, he was uh, uh, being pressed by King Saul to carry King Saul's battle armor, wear his armor. But, but he would not do it. And David pointed out then that there was a time when a lion had come and, and grabbed a, a lamb out of his flock. A time, Another time when a bear came and grabbed a, 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 a lamb out of the flock. And he said, I struck them and killed them. Yeah, with a stick. I said, you, you always thought that somebody just made that up about going bear hunting with a stick. No. That, that was David. You say, that was a tall tale. No. No, it wasn't. This is the same David, remember, that killed the giant Goliath of Gath with a sling and a stone. I, I don't know how he did it. The Bible says that he uh, grabbed him by the beard, depending on what translation it of, that you look at. It might have been fur. Uh, Hebrew wasn't all that specific to draw a distinction. Uh, I kind of think he probably somehow grabbed him by the nape of the neck because if all I've got to stick, I sure don't want to be grabbing a lion by his beard. David probably knew better than that. Somehow got a hold of that mane and beat a lion to death with the club. I'm not making that up. First Samuel 17. You see, the rod was a weapon, formidable weapon have to understand, of course, that in David's case, David knew something. David knew that he would be as incapable of killing Goliath with a rock as he had been of killing a a bear with a stick or a lion with a stick. He knew that that was the blessings of God and the power of God upon him. He knew it. That's why he said to Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord our God. Moses was a shepherd. And though we often think of him holding up that shepherd's staff, it was not the staff that God told him to throw down so that it became a serpent. It was the rod, the club. That was his offensive weapon. You see, the, 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 the staff, that was for ministering to the sheep and leading the sheep and, 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 and rescuing the sheep. The rod, that was his weapon. So You're going to go and fight the most powerful king on the planet. You're going to go up against the most powerful armies in the world. What is your weapon? What's that in your hand? A rod. Throw it down. He picked it back up. You read the story of Moses then. That rod worked miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. David, in this glorious psalm, speaks of those moments then when he was in the shadow of death. And the way we live all of our lives under that looming shadow, I can tell you it certainly seems to darken and lengthen as you get older. For the believer in the shadow of death, we are comforted knowing that both the rod and the staff of our great shepherd God will protect us and rescue us when we're in our hour of greatest need. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Oh, don't we anticipate that day when death will be no more. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. It's the last one that we all face. Thank God we can face the shadow of death knowing that his rod and staff does what? Comfort us. Comfort my people. David knew there was more at work in him than just bear hunting and lion hunting and giant killing with sticks and stones. God had protected him all his life. And he knew when it came time for him to die, God would still be his protector. God would still be his provider. I want to ask you a question today. Do you know God as your shepherd? Have you received him as your own personal savior? Do you know God in the way that David does? Do you know, have you experienced the comfort of his rod and staff in the valley of death? Second thing we saw over and over as we looked and studied about this this week was the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The comfort, yes, of the shepherd, but then there's the comfort of the Spirit. Acts nine thirty one. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. and Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Acts chapter 9 records for us the conversion of a man named Saul. Before that time Saul the Bible said had wreaked havoc in the churches. He had attacked believers. Imprisoned them. Persecuted some. Killed some. His persecution was so intense that believers were scattered. Where once they had gathered together around Jerusalem. Now they were scattered to the four winds. Except only the apostles stayed behind in J- Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You would have asked them who public enemy number one was in those days. It was Saul of Tarsus. That was him. I'll tell you what, it's a great way to get rid of an enemy for him to get saved. Amen. Amen. All of a sudden, on the road to Damascus, you know what happened? Saul was gloriously born again as he had that encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. And before he was done almost, before he could get away from Damascus, he went to Damascus to try to wipe out the name of Jesus. But before he left there, he was preaching the name of Jesus. What a change. What a change that was. And it's at that point then that we find this great passage. The churches then throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied, edified, and multiplied. We'll talk more about that in a moment. This is a great passage to remind us that churches are made up of believers in Jesus Christ. They're made of people, not of bricks and mortar, stones, or timber. Churches are made of people. It was true in the New Testament era. It is true today. God's plan is is clearly identified in the New Testament. He intends then for people, God would have all men, the Bible says, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And in order for that to happen, of course, God created this marvelous institution called the New Testament church. And We're not the only one. Obviously, there are many, many others in our town and community and, and many, many others all around the world where believers are saved, they're baptized. Then they make a commitment to one another. We tend to call it a covenant. And we covenant then one with another. For what purpose? So that we can follow Jesus Christ and serve Him. This passage then shows how that churches can be edified. That means build up or grow edified and multiplied. A church is edified, that means that the church is growing stronger in their faith and their understanding of the truth of God. A church is multiplied, that means it's getting bigger. (laughs) It's growing, both spiritually in their knowledge of God and their knowledge of the things of God, and growing in people. Now, notice the two things that God put together so wonderfully in this passage for us. They walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Fear of God and comfort of the Holy Ghost. These two things are complementary, not contradictory. They walked in the fear of the Lord and they walked in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Both at the same time. You see, when we lose our fear of God, we tend to gravitate toward things that... We shouldn't be doing behaviors that are not proper. So that instead then as God's people of the comfort of the Spirit. We get the conviction of the Spirit. But as long as we maintain that healthy, viable and vital fear of God. So that we reverence Him and respect Him. So that we long to please Him and not displease Him. As long as we are walking in the fear of God. And we can also be assured we'll be walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Paul would tell the church at Corinth, Become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Be complete. Be of good comfort, of one mind, live in peace. It's an amazing thing to watch churches edify and multiply. It's always our goal. It's always my prayer that our church would be edified and multiplied. It's a wonderful thing for when God adds to the church. <laughs> oh, but I tell you, it's something amazing when He multiplies it. That's when people are walking in the fear of the Lord. That speaks of our lifestyle. It, it, it's a people then who are, are walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. That speaks of the peace that, and assurance that we have in our life. That kind of lifestyle attracts attention. Your friends will notice. Your coworkers will notice. Your employees will notice. And what an opportunity there is then for testimony! That's how it begins to multiply. You see, it's one thing if one person brings one; that, that's a great thing. But what if a hundred bring one? Now we're talking multiplication. The church is then walking in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we're edified and multiplied. So we have, then the comfort of the Spirit, the comfort of the shepherd. Then there's the comfort of the Scriptures. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. God has given us his incredible word, his revelation to us, inspired, inerrant. God has given us his word to read, to study, and to learn. Some of you may just be getting started out trying to read or study the Bible. And it may seem to you to be a daunting task. If you're just getting started in your faith or young in your faith, let me encourage you with everything I have as strongly as I can. Don't try to start in Genesis or don't try to start in Revelation. Folks, start in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John begins with the story of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Two great things, then, that it tells us. Tells the whole creation story in two statements. Number one, Jesus made it all. Number two, nothing made itself. (laughs) Nothing. How about that for some truth for our generation today? That book, the Gospel of John, is written, uh, Greek scholars tell me, on about a third grade level. Anybody can read it and understand it. tells us the story again and again of people that Jesus interacted with. Start with the Gospel of John. You see, the Bible is not just one book. It's 66 books. Start in the Gospel of John. Jump from there over to the book of James. You want a little practical reading? Oh, jump into the book of James. You'll love it. Oh, James is so blunt, so direct, so to the point. James will get up in your face. You're struggling with some sin. Oh, James will put it out there for you. Read John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, especially the first one, because it gives to you the assurance in how you can know that you have eternal life. might jump back then to the Psalms, to the Proverbs long about that time you'll be ready to tackle some of those other great things after a while you'll learn something you'll see something you'll experience something the scriptures give you comfort the scriptures give you comfort I've visited in the homes of patients who were struggling with Alzheimer's and dementia and see them sitting in a chair beside them on the table it's a well-worn Bible Uh, you see they've had a habit for years of reading it and they still do in the book of 2 Timothy Paul would write to Timothy and tell him uh, do diligence to come quickly come quickly don't tarry. Bring my coat. And bring the parchments, he said. That's the scriptures. That's the scriptures. You see, sometimes we read the Bible and we learn new things. And that's great when it happens. But sometimes we read the Bible and we discover something. <laughs> it still says the same thing as it's always said. You know, there's still ten commandments, not seven or five. Uh, the, lions ha- the lions haven't eaten Daniel. Uh, David still kills Goliath. Noah still saves humanity and all the animals too. The rainbow is still the sign of the covenant that God gave to Noah so long ago. Jesus still took the cross and still conquered the grave. And there's just something comforting to us about reading it. Just have read it before. Read it again. You know it if you've been reading it long. There is comfort in the scriptures. We live in a world that actually believes that they're so sophisticated and so educated that they're all through with the word of God. It doesn't matter that hundreds of generations have lived and died by the truth of that book. It doesn't matter. Oh no, we've got it all figured out these days. We're a Sophisticated culture. They mock the word of God. Make fun of it. Make fun of people who believe it. Don't make that mistake. Because this passage tells us that when we are in the comfort of the scriptures, we have hope. We have hope. Why? Because the word of God gives us hope. And if you reject the word of God, then life is hopeless. How will you know who God is? How will you know that Jesus Christ died for our sins? How? Will you have any hope of heaven that takes us beyond the grave? We have the comfort of the scriptures. And when we do, there's hope. So we saw the the comfort of the shepherd. And though I spoke specifically of Psalm 23, we just looked at that as God is our shepherd. How he leads us, how he protects us, how he provides for us. I could have shown you a hundred scriptures today, a thousand perhaps, that would have told that story. But Psalm 23, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The comfort of the Spirit. We could have gone to John 14 that tells us that the name of the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. The Comforter. Oh, so many passages. We see the comfort of the Scriptures. Lastly, there's the comfort of the shout. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. (laughs) I I can't read that without laughing. I tell you, what a, my, I'm not laughing at it. That's a a chuckle of pure joy, folks. It is. I just think about that day. We're going to hear that shout. I plan to be alive when it happens. I might. Be already dead in Christ, but that's a shout that's going to wake the dead. Let's keep reading. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. Don't look at me that way. I remember when Jesus stood in front of a dead man's tomb one day and said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus didn't have any trouble hearing that voice. If I'm buried in some grave then, I won't have any trouble hearing it either. Neither will you. Neither will your loved ones. Here it is. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words, the comfort of the shout. You see, it was the coming of the Lord that Isaiah spoke to... So long ago in Isaiah chapter 40. But it was referring to his coming to this earth as Israel's Messiah. And the fulfillment of all of those years of waiting and longing. And how that John the Baptist would come and make a highway for our God. It wasn't a a highway for people to get to heaven. It was a a highway then for God to come to this earth. That he would follow that path laid out for him by John who came preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was that promise that was put before them that initiated that time of comfort so long ago. And after all these years, it should not surprise us then that it is the return of Jesus Christ to this earth that is put before us for us to comfort one another. We used to sing about it a whole lot more than we do these days. I'm not sure why. I'm not fussing at Brother Bill or Brother Zach or our choir or anybody. I We used to have a hymnal that we sang out of. Many of you, like me, grew up singing out of it. It was called the Heavenly Highways Hymnal. Y'all remember that? I'm here to tell you something today. Troublesome times are here. Filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom we all hold dear now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God. Freeze from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod. Christians... Awake, if you know the chorus, sing it with me. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet, their doom trumpets will sound. All of the dead shall rise, righteous meet in the skies, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. I believe y'all stand up better. You might sing it better. Come on. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where no one dies. Heavenward bound! Come on, help me. <laughs> oh, you want to hear that done really well? Just look up the Gaither music. Uh, Jesus is coming soon. It's on YouTube. You can listen to it for free. It'll be worth three minutes of your time. Oh, troubles will soon be o'er. That's the second verse. Happy forevermore. When we meet on that shore, free from all care, rising up in the skies, telling this world goodbye, homeward we then will fly. Glory to share. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Comfort. Comfort. The passage gives us a simple commission. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Today may be your day when you need that comforting. You may be down today. You may be troubled. You may be the one that needs a helping hand. Today might be a day when it seems like nothing is going right for you. Today may be a good day, a happy day, a time of blessing. And you can look back on all of the times when God has got you through. We serve, you see, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And that's a message our world desperately needs, not only to hear, but to see as we live it out.